Well, I have to say, um, it's actually a little bit of a funny topic to come and talk about dating. Uh, and dating itself is a funny thing, right? Because what's dating? It's, I'm not married, but I'm not single. I'm somewhere in the middle. It's an odd kind of place, an odd space. And the strange thing about it as well, or the challenging thing for us as well, is there's no real biblical model for dating. You can't look through the Bible and find two people who are dating in the way that we think about it. You can find people who are engaged or betrothed, obviously Joseph and Mary. Uh, you can find people who are keen on each other, if we like that language, perhaps. Um, people like uh, Boaz and Ruth, people like Jacob and Rachel. There's obviously an attraction there. But when it comes down to dating, as we think of it, it's just not really a biblical category. Uh, and that's tricky because where do we turn to in the Bible to learn about it? Where in the Bible helps us to think about dating? Uh, well, uh, we're going to look at uh, one text today, the one we just heard read, but uh, then I'm afraid what we're going to have to do is draw on a bit of wisdom. Uh, and this is wisdom that I hope I've been able to distill well and glean both from uh, conversations with other people, uh, my own work. Um, so I worked, uh, as I said before, in uh, church ministry for about 10 years. A big slab of that was working with university students uh, for whom dating is not an issue. No, dating is high on their agenda. Um, and then I worked with a congregation who was largely young adults, uh, people who was a large percentage of them were single. Uh, and so a lot of my church ministry work was with people who were thinking about dating. So again, we haven't got a single text that's going to tell us everything we want to know about dating. You're going to need to take what I say today as a bit of kind of Uncle Tim's guide to dating. Uh, and I hope it's helpful. I'm going to give you what I think are 10 good tips or principles. But before I get to them, what I want to do is put in place some guardrails, which are the biblical guardrails, uh, outside which uh, we can't really go when we're thinking about dating. Uh, let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll move forward with this. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great news that Whatever our relationship status with other people, we have direct access to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, who bonds us into the best and deepest and richest of relationships there is. We know you, Father, by your Son, through your Spirit. Help us to remember this relationship, even as we try to negotiate all the rest with faithfulness and wisdom. Amen. Well, we just looked at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. And you would have heard in there, as Paul is addressing in this section of this letter, the, the whole theme of love, and he talks about love in a number of different ways. But part of the ways he talks about love is, is love between two people. Uh, love that is relationship love. Love that is potentially sexual love. And he wants to say just a few things there. And it's very straightforward, I think, kind of challenging to uh, take on board, but not difficult to understand. Uh, Paul tells them that he, you know what instructions we gave you, verse 2, through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification, how you will be holy. 
And there are a few, as I say, guardrails that we need to put in place here. The first is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, some of the old Bibles say fornication. Uh, sexual immorality is probably clearer for us now. Sexual immorality, fornication, we know from the scriptures this simply means not being involved in sexual activity outside of marriage. Okay? It's kind of an old fashioned idea in our community today, but it's a clear biblical principle and a clear biblical guideline. Uh, if you're not married, then sex is not for you. And going on to verse 4, that everyone should know how to control their own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust. So there's the control of our own bodies in holiness and honour, contrary to the passion of lust. Uh, Self-control is really important. Uh, it's not Again, popular in our society today. In fact, the opposite is popular, isn't it? That is, if you have an impulse, you should act on it. And to deny acting on your impulse is to suppress your true identity. That's not Christian teaching. Christian teaching is we have lots of impulses, and some of them are bad. And actually, by the Holy Spirit, some of them should be put under control so we don't run away with behaviors that don't bring glory to God and ultimately aren't good for us. And we act instead with holiness and purity and not driven by lust. I think it's really helpful to remember, of course, the difference between lust and love. Uh, the way that uh, someone has put it who, that I think is very helpful is lust is putting myself first. Love is putting someone else first. Lust is gratifying myself. Love is serving the other. We act with love, not with lust. And we act again in holiness and honour. This is all part of it. And that none of us exploit a brother in this matter or exploit a brother or sister there. I think that's an inclusive idea in this case. So we don't uh, take advantage of Christian sisters and brothers, Paul's saying. People in the church, don't exploit them in this matter. Don't act towards them in lust to serve yourself rather than in love to serve them. If the person you are dating does not care for you, if the person you are dating is in it just because of their lust and what they can get out of you, physically, maybe in other ways, it does damage. It does emotional damage. It does mental damage. It can do physical damage. And it can do spiritual damage. If you are in a relationship and it's driven by your lust for someone, or by your desire just to please yourself, you can damage that person. And Paul would not have this be the case. Do not damage another person. Do not exploit or wrong a Christian believer in this way. And I think that means not just the, the lowest possible baseline, like, you know, just make sure you don't have sex together. Yes, don't do that, but also you want to Abstain from other things that might damage them. You want to not make rash promises. You want to not use cheap words. You want to not presume about things in the way you interact with one another. Doing things that make it easy for you or get you what you want, but aren't actually thinking about caring for them, serving them and loving them. 
you actually just think all the time, what can I do that will be honorable and holy and what will help this person and never damage them? Please note that Paul's actually quite, I think, challenging here. When he says, again in verse 6, the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. God has called us, uh, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Do you notice that? Paul is saying, even if you're a believer, you're saved by faith in Jesus. But however this works out in God's economy, whatever's going to happen the last day, if you wrong your sister or your brother in this matter, you should expect some kind of judgment from God, some kind of vengeance from God. That is, because what you're doing is not just rejecting some human teaching, you're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Now, we could pick apart what that means at some length, but the point really for now is, is simple. Take it seriously. Don't pretend it doesn't matter. Don't use that cheap grace, like, oh, you know, I'm saved by grace, so oh, we bend a few rules here and there, and oops, we probably did something that we might not have done, and I'm sorry I've hurt you. Don't make light of it. It's serious stuff. Okay? So there's a whole lot of stuff there that I think uh, is important for us as a baseline. I think many of you agree that's an important baseline. Okay, that's probably not too surprising to hear a preacher in a church step up and say, don't have sex outside marriage and look after each other. But where do we go from here? It's good to have a baseline, but then good, I think, to have some common understandings about the practice. How are we actually going to embody this as a community? What's it going to look like among us? We kind of need some road rules, you know? Uh, we all agree in principle on the, on the idea that when you're on the car, out in your car on the road, you should keep other people safe, but you still need some actual rules. You, can, you don't get your license just by saying, I'll keep everyone safe, trust me, and off you go. You've still got to learn the rules of the road, because when we're all playing by the same rules, that's when we can be safe. So what I want to do is I want to propose today a pattern built around a key idea. I want to propose some kind of road rules, if you like, for dating, built around one key idea. And here's the key idea. The key idea is that dating is this. Dating is well understood as an always dynamic state of life with a purpose. Okay, just take that in for a sec. What is dating? Dating is an always dynamic state of life with a purpose. Now, what does that mean? Uh, always dynamic means it's, it's never settled. It's a dynamic relationship. Uh, it's not like, uh, yeah, we're just dating. How long have you been dating for? Oh, ages. Uh, and uh, how long are you going to keep dating? Oh, who knows, however. This is just, we're just in the groove. We're just dating. This is just the state of life we're in. We're just ongoingly dating. No kind of end to this in sight. No, that's not dating. Dating is always dynamic. It's not settled, it's not static, it's not just a place where you find yourself and you just stay there. And it has a purpose. What's its purpose? Its purpose is to determine if we'll get married. That's the purpose. We're here to determine if we'll get married. So it's dynamic, not static. Uh, more static relationships are like marriage. We're married, how long are you married? This long, how long do you plan to stay married? Uh, next few weeks? No. 
Till death do us part. This is our set way of being. For some people, that's singleness too. Some people have said, I'm single uh, and I want to stay single. I like being single. I can serve the Lord as a single person uh, and that's my set way of life. But dating's not like that. We're dating for now, but this is not how we're going to stay. To determine if we will get married. So dating is not just because it's fun. Because, you know, we want to go out and do some cool stuff together and because it's just that stage of life. There might be truth in all that and I don't want to be a killjoy, (laughs) but it has a purpose as well. We're working out if we want to get married. Okay? I want to say as well, this is just a model. This is not, there's no verse in the Bible that says what I've just said. Again, I'm trying to draw on wisdom here and I hope it's useful. Uh, But there are other ways of doing it. Um, You can have an arranged marriage, okay? And in the West, we tend to think this is crazy. Uh, but I, I love it from kind of an episode of The Simpsons a hundred years ago when uh, the uh, Indian grocer Apu is just grieved at the fact that he has to be enter into an arranged marriage and he tells his parents, don't you realise one in 20 arranged marriages ends in divorce? Uh, which is a joke given that it's one in two marriages that are not arranged, like one in two marriages that we strike outside that arrangement that end in divorce. It's a far more secure and stable way of establishing a relationship, even though we tend to not like it. So then, you know, there's an alternative there. You could think about arranged marriages. You could think about getting engaged without even dating. You think that's nuts? Then someday you'll come and ask me about what my wife and I did. But I'm not going to talk about that right now. But if we are saying, no, actually, we're going to do dating, that's just going to be part of the way that our community uh, helps people to um, decide if they're going to get married, then what I want to say is, okay, we've got our guardrails in place. Let me give you 10 quick points that I think are helpful for us, road rules, as it were, as we navigate this journey. Just drawn on wisdom, uh, but hopefully useful. Here we go, 10 points that I think are useful. The first point is this, the first thought is this. Be healthy in yourself before you start dating. Before you start dating. Some people look for relationships to heal something in themselves or to fill a need in themselves or because they've got a pain and a hurt and they think, if only I had a a boyfriend, a girlfriend, then I'd feel a lot better. The reality is you just take your hurts, your pain and your problems into the relationship and you just end up running the risk of taking your uh, issues and making them another person's issues as well. Now, of course, none of us have ever got it all together, have we? We're all messed up in some ways. There's all ways in which, you know, in body, mind and spirit, or however you want to carve it up, there's all things that all of us are not where we should be. But what I'm really talking about now is if you've got specific issues, big issues, Things you know you've got to work through and sort out. Things you know are somehow uh, not fully processed in yourself that are causing serious impediments to your emotional, your spiritual well-being. I'm saying we want to do as much as we can to sort that out before we get involved with someone else so we're not just taking all that into a relationship and letting someone else bear it. Again, it's a guideline. It's not a hard rule. We're all going to be messed up our whole lives. Please don't think you have to be perfect before you can have a relationship because that doesn't happen. But just understand that's probably something to think about. Number two, who should I date? Who should? So I'm, I'm kind of not, not as messed up as I extremely possibly could be. 
I'm kind of got my act together a bit. I think, okay, I think I'd like to date someone. Who should I date? Well, uh, as I've said, you should date a potential spouse. Date a potential spouse, which really just means I'm not going to date someone who I would never marry. You know, and some people kind of have that category. Oh, I'd go out with them, or you know, I'd sleep with them, but I wouldn't marry them. No, no, that's not for us, right? We say if I'm dating them, then that's because I'm thinking this could be a potential spouse. For Christian people, that means we don't really date people who are unbelievers. Uh, problem with dating people who are not believers, apart from the Bible being quite clear that that's not what God wants for us, is it usually doesn't end all that well. It either leads to, uh, and I've seen this in a number of cases, it either leads to uh, the believing partner drifting away from the faith, not attending church so much, uh, just becoming looser in their connection to their Christian life, or it leads to the believer continuing to be passionate about church and excited about their Christian life and their relationship with their spouse never being as deep as it could be. Because one of the most, the most important thing in their life, they're not on the same page about. So it leads to relationships with distance and difficulty. Um, please don't, please don't look at dating as a strategy for conversion. Um, we've all heard this, someone's dating someone who's not a believer. But you know, this is a, because they love me so much, maybe they love Jesus too. And then, hey, that's not only I get a partner, but there's another one for the kingdom. Um, it doesn't work out that way lots of the time. And if it does, uh, that's God's unusual grace, not his recommended strategy. Um, I know a, a, a lovely, faithful woman in uh, one of my uh, previous churches, an older lady who was one of the most passionate Christians you ever meet. She was gung-ho for Jesus, full-on for the gospel. And when she, was, um, uh, when she was much younger, she got married, and she married a guy who was not a believer, but over time he had become a believer and now he too was a passionate Christian. So you'd look at her and say, well, you're a passionate Christian, he's a passionate Christian, it kind of worked out. And you'd say that to her, well, didn't it work out? And she goes, it was stupid and I was wrong and don't ever do it. And she said that with her husband right there. I should never have married him, ever. <laughs> but God was gracious. So God can do good things in that situation. But even people who've been there and seen it, and have been more and more passionate for Jesus, realize this was a foolish thing that God was very kind to bless. It's not a good strategy. So who should I date? A potential spouse. That means also we should look for substance, not packaging. Look for substance, not packaging. Of course, enjoy the romance. Of course, someone who knows how to turn up at your doorstep and appear with a bunch of roses or a box of chocolates or whatever it is, you can have all that stuff, right? but you've got to get beyond the infatuation as well. You've got to say, it's, that's, that's nice and that's fun and that gives me a flutter in my tummy, but there's got to be more than that. There's got to be substance. You've got to ask questions about character, conviction, commitment, priorities. What would be the deal breakers with this person? Uh, all that sort of stuff. And in all this, I want to say as well, you've got to reject the myth of the perfect match. So who am I looking for to marry? I'm not looking for my perfect partner. I'm not looking to step onto a Hollywood set and find the one and for us to go, oh, we're perfect in every way. Uh, why? Because there is no such person. A really good relationship is about two imperfect people loving each other well. Two broken people loving each other well. Remember this when you're on the dating scene as well. You only have sinners to choose from. 
you only have sinners to choose from. Okay? And that's, that's good to know because if you're ever going to be married, you're only ever possibly going to be married to a sinner. And it might be true for them as well. So, number three. Avoid ambiguity when starting out. I put this in because I've seen this a bit. I don't know if it happens anymore, but I've heard particularly from women that they find this very unhelpful. Avoid ambiguity when starting out, including lots of flirting. Basically, if you think you're interested in someone and you'd like to ask them out on a date, ask them out on a date. Don't do this kind of, coincidentally, it turned out that we're at the same place at the same time and I, I just might find myself sitting next to you and, and then the other one goes away, well, that was weird because I kind of like him, but is, was that something or was that not something? Well, what it is, is a kind of lack of courage, right? It's a lack of courage. It's saying, I want to kind of ease my way into their life and into their favour without actually saying, hey, feel like going out on a date, I'd love to buy you dinner sometime. Be straightforward. Uh, it's okay, of course, to get to know people in groups and to meet people uh, in circumstances. And it's okay if you genuinely do end up sitting next to each other at a table unplanned. But don't engineer a relationship on these kind of false chance encounters. <laughs> Be straightforward. I think everyone appreciates that. No one is looking for more grey areas. Okay? No one's after that. Okay, number four. What do we do when we're dating? What is dating about? Uh, well, it means dating is you uh, go to nice restaurants, you watch movies, you go for sunset walks along the beach. You can do all them, of course. They're great things to do. But what you're doing when you're dating is you're actually, at the appropriate pace and the appropriate way, working out if you want to get married. That's what we're doing when we're dating. Uh, that doesn't mean day one, first date. Okay, how many kids do you want? And what suburb do you want to live in? And, you know... It's not like that. It's not this intense interrogation from the minute you meet. But somewhere, these are the questions you're asking. You know, is this a person I want to spend my life with? And at some point, you actually need to have those open conversations, I think. You know, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm interested in. How about you? Uh, the purpose of the relationship is to work out if you get married. So make that an active goal. Again, you don't need to kill the romance for this. You can still enjoy the sunsets on the beach and the nice restaurants and whatever it is. But that's got to be part of the conversation at some point. Okay, number five. When dating, don't act married because you're not married. Okay? You're not married, so when dating, don't act like you're married. What does that mean? Well, we've talked about don't sleep with each other, okay, but also don't cohabit. Don't share a house. Don't go on holidays together. Don't buy white goods together. Make major purchases. These are things actually that bind people. These are things that are the kind of things that married people... Married people buy fridges, right? Not people who are dating. <laughs> don't, don't act like that because the more you act like that, the more you're kind of creating this pseudo-bond marriage -y thing that's not really but kind of is in some ways. It's unhelpful. It's unhelpful. Okay? Uh, don't act married if you're not married. So you need to set some boundaries. Okay? You need to set some boundaries. You need to set some spiritual boundaries, some emotional boundaries. You need to set some physical boundaries. 
you will, of course, want to have sex. Let's just be open about that. You will have, if you're dating someone and you do not want to have sex with them, you've probably decided that they're not the person you want to marry. Okay? You've probably worked that out. So you can own that, right? If I'm dating someone, of course I'm sexually attracted to them. Of course I want to have sex with them, which means I'm going to need some boundaries in place because I don't want to act married if I'm not married. And again, this is one of those things that if you do act married when you're not married, either in sleeping together or buying the fridge or going on the holiday to the Gold Coast or whatever it is, if you don't get married, the pulling apart of that relationship hurts a lot, a lot more than if you hadn't done those things. Okay, That's part of the honouring one another and not wronging each other in that. You're just setting yourself up for more pain if you don't get married. And you know what? If you wait on those things, you're not going to regret it. Okay? You're not going to regret on your wedding night that you didn't sleep together before your wedding night. You're going to say, I don't regret that at all. Similarly, you're not going to regret uh, in the first few weeks of your marriage that you didn't buy a fridge before you were married. We can do we've got We've got years to do that. We didn't need to rush into that. So don't act married before you're married. It just makes it harder if you don't stay together and all the things you want to do, you can do if you get married. Number six, date for a shorter period, not a longer period. Once again, if you date for a year, two years, three years, four years, five, and then you break up, that's hard. That's really hard. And I actually saw this a number of times where people who, who had been entangled in relationships for a long time didn't get married and then suddenly people find out, I'm in my maybe my late 20s or my 30s and I gave so much of my life to this person and now we're not together and we're not getting married and that really, really affects my future. Don't date for a long time. Uh, the, the shorter, the better, I say. It limits the hurt if you do break up. And if you are going to get married, why wait? Like, why wait seven years of dating to get married if that's where you're going? That, that seems to me like the worst of both worlds. Work it out uh, sooner rather than longer. And so in all that, I want to encourage you as well, don't wait until all the unnecessary things are sorted. You know, don't say, well, we're going to date until we've sorted out all these unnecessary matters, like until I've sorted out getting this job, or until we've kind of um, got a deposit for a house, or until uh, I've um, you know, finished my master's or something like that, whatever it is you're doing. None of those things are actually prerequisites for a marriage. When you get married, you don't kind of walk down the aisle and, you know, the celebrant says, uh, Dearly beloved, we're gathered here together today to witness the, the bonding of this person who already has their master's degree with this person who has a deposit for a house. They can get married. Those things are not relevant. So don't make them the things that stop you getting married. I know people who've married very young with nothing and are still married. They didn't wait to get the career or whatever it was they needed to get because that's not necessarily, that not at all, something that's essential to the marriage relationship. Number seven, let others into your relationship. Let others in. Uh, deciding to get married is a big decision. Don't do it by yourself. Uh, not only that, but when you're dating someone, your mind's not working properly. <laughs> Everything's foggy. 
you know, everywhere you look, the world is kind of rose-colored. Um, you just don't have your thinking hat on as well as you should. And while you can enjoy that, it's great to invite other people in. Trusted friends, family members, Christian sisters and Christian brothers. Say to them, I, I want your word here. I want your opinion. Why don't you grill me about this? Why don't we talk about where I'm up to and what I'm thinking? It's a high-stress time, as much as it can be great fun. So lean on them for support and then listen to them. So when your trusted Christian sister or brother says, I, I really don't think you should marry this person. Now, they might be wrong and that might just be their opinion that you don't have to go with, but I, I would want to hear that. And I would want to say, here's someone I trust and here's someone who's faithful to the Lord. I want to know if what they're saying is actually really important for me to heed at this point. They're not love-struck. <laughs> they're a little more objective, and they might have something to say. Also, just great to have support. Just great to have friends who can help you when there are the ups and downs and the tensions and the questions and the nervousness. You need someone there who's not the person you're dating just to hang out with, catch a pizza with, relax with, know you're loved and secure, know that you have a place among God's people apart from whatever's going on over here as well. You need that support. Number eight, know that it is always okay to break up. You're not married. It's always okay to break up. Uh, some people feel like, oh, I could never, we've been together for like two years. I can't break up now. Yes, you can. You're not married. You can break up. That's the point. You are free to do that. And you need to know that it's okay to do that. You need to know if you're the person who feels like you want to break up. You need to know that if you're dating someone and you don't want to break up, that they are free to break up with you. They're not obliged to you. They haven't made vows to you. They're not married to you. And if they decide they don't want to be with you, that's okay. You have to let them not be with you. They're not married to you. Even if you're engaged, you can still break up. Even on the wedding day before you get married, if you're not sure or if you think I want out, you can still break up. Uh, I know a terrible, sad story of a young woman who knew she didn't want to get married to the guy she was engaged to. On her wedding day, she's sitting there in her wedding dress thinking, I don't want to do this, I don't want to get married. But because it was a big occasion, she went through with it, she got married, she's divorced now. What she needed to know was, you don't have to get married. You're not married. You can break up. Uh, I, uh, when I was um, a celebrant, a church pastor, and I, I used to um, officiate weddings, I used to say to the couple when I was counselling them before their wedding, I said, if either of you want out at any point, up to and including the wedding day, your family might hate you for this. And you might have a whole lot of headaches with venues and whatever. And I will back you. I will be there for you. And if you really, really, really need out, come to me and I will let you be out. And that was just a way of saying, you are not married yet. So we don't have to act like breaking up is divorce. It's not. You are allowed to get out. You actually, that means as well, you want to conduct your relationship in a way that breaking up is okay. So this is again going back to Paul. You want to conduct your relationship with holiness and honour. Of course you're going to grow close. Of course there's going to be emotional investment. Of course you're going to care about each other. But it shouldn't be to the extent that if you break up, it's like getting divorced. It shouldn't be that much. Because you're not married. And so breaking up shouldn't be as bad as when people get divorced. 
Now, of course, it's unlikely that you're going to be best friends after your breakup. Uh, you know, we've been dating for uh, however long. We were talking about getting engaged, and then, you know, we decided not to. But hey, we'll still be best friends. You probably won't be. <laughs> but you still want to be in good Christian fellowship with each other, and you still want to not cause deep damage to each other that results in bitterness and that results in long-lasting pain. So you need to know it's okay to break up. You're allowed to break up with him. They're allowed to break up with you. And that leads me to point nine. Point nine is you actually need to know dating is a bit risky. It's risky. There's no guarantees. Just because you start dating someone doesn't mean it's going to end up where you necessarily want it to end up. And you have to be prepared for that risk. You can't date without putting something of yourself at risk. And if you're not prepared to potentially pay the cost of breaking up, then you need to ask, am I prepared to date? Uh, you have to go in with your eyes wide open, knowing that I'm, I'm, going, I'm going out on a limb, I'm taking a risk, I'm exploring this relationship, it might not work out. That again just takes me back to the earlier point, you've got to have some Christian sisters and brothers who are on your side. And if you do break up, they're there for you. They're with you and they are putting their arms around you in whatever way uh, helps you so that you can recover healthily and that you can be in good fellowship with uh, the person you broke up with in appropriate ways and you can get yourself back together emotionally and spiritually. You've got to have those people there. Last one, number 10. Consider not dating. That is, consider, if you're a single person, consider staying single for the sake of the work of the kingdom. I just want to throw that out there for you. And I throw it out there for you simply because the Apostle Paul throws it out there for you. If you read 1 Corinthians 7, which we won't do now, Paul says it's actually fine to be married. Absolutely a blessing from God. But Paul says, but I think actually given the age we're in, it's better to be single. Why? Because if you're single, you can be one-eyed about the kingdom and the work of the kingdom. If you're married, you can love Jesus and you can be passionate about his kingdom, but you have to give a lot of attention to your spouse. You have to. And that's right and good, and that's how it should be. But if you're someone who's passionate about the kingdom, and if it's within yourself to have the, the self-control and not be uh, overrun by a desire for a relationship, then consider saying, you know what? I might stay single for the kingdom. I mean, after all, goodness me, it's only what? 50, 60 years, we'll all be dead anyway. And we'll be with Jesus, and you're not going to look back and say, well, here I am with the Lord Jesus, praising him for eternity. I wish I'd been married for a bit longer on earth. All of that, good as it is, great as it is, a gift is not going to be what we worry about in eternity. So consider it. I'm not saying you have to do it, and Paul says you don't have to do it. Being married is great too. But consider whether you might do that. Maybe... Um, just as a side note there, maybe you're single and you wonder if you're going to stay single long term, but you don't want to be. Maybe you have got that kind of uh, singleness that's not of your own choosing. Uh, just a, a quick word, if that's you, to say, please know, singleness is not bad. Singleness is not wrong. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Singleness is by no means any kind of second-tier existence in the Christian understanding. And remember this as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian believer, 
you're actually not missing out on the best relationship anyway. You've got a relationship that's better than marriage with Jesus. And you're going to be part of the real marriage. You are going to be part of that body of Christ, which is his bride, when he comes as the groom and takes us all in the real marriage. And then all the earthly marriages are just going to look like shadows of the reality anyway. And I don't want to say it's not hard being involuntarily single. Of course it is. Loneliness is painful. Loneliness is very painful. But please just remember, you do have the best relationship of all with Jesus. So, let me quickly recap. We're going to always be working with holiness and honour. And we're going to be looking after our sisters and brothers and caring for them. We're not going to wrong anyone. Our ten points are we're going to be healthy in ourselves as much as we reasonably can before we start dating. We're going to date a potential spouse. We're going to avoid ambiguity when we're starting out. We're going to use our dating time to consider whether or not we want to get married. When we're dating, we're not going to act married because we're not. We're going to date for shorter periods, not longer periods. We're going to let other people into the relationship. We're going to know that it's okay to break up. And we're going to know it's risky. And we might even consider not dating at all. Ten tips for dating. And now I just want to throw in two bonus ones. The bonus is, if you, this is not you, if you're married or if you've decided I want to be single for my life, uh, then you think, well, this was a waste of my morning. Um, please think about those who are in that situation. Please think about how will you love and support your Christian sisters and Christian brothers who are dating or who want to be dating or who want to look towards marriage. How can you love them? How can you care for them? How can you be that person on the sidelines who says, I am there for you, I know it's tough, I know it can be embarrassing and awkward, I've got your back. And if you ever need me to show you my love and support and care, I'm there. It can be an up and, up and down time emotionally. Loneliness and longing can be very difficult. And uh, all of us, whatever status we're in in terms of our relationships, can be there for others. So let's think about that. And even hopefully what I've said today, if you are married or if you're committed to being single long-term, hopefully you've maybe thought through some things about, okay, this is not me, but this might be others around me, and, and now I have just a few thoughts about how I could love them better. That would be a great thing. And the very last thing is this. If you have made some mistakes while dating, if you look back on the history of girlfriends and boyfriends you've had and relationships you've had, and you think, I've made some mistakes. I've been foolish, I've been unwise, I've been sinful, done stuff I shouldn't have done. I've uh, not followed Uncle Tim's top 10 tips very well, actually, when I reflect on it. And if that puts inside you regret and hurt and sadness and brokenness and a bit of feeling of um, not worthiness in who you are now or in what relationship you might have in the future, you need to remember something very important. The Lord Jesus knows and he loves you and he died for you. And all of that stuff is dealt with. We took the bread and wine today. That was his body and his blood because he died for your sins, even your sins of dating, even your sins of relational damage. Now there might be stuff you need to go and sort out. There might be ways you need to make reconciliation with another person. There might be 
healing in human relationships that still need to happen, but know this, Jesus was actually and always is that brother on the sideline who's there and saying, no matter how bad this went, no matter how much you got hurt and no matter how much you stuffed it, I am the one who will always love you and I paid whatever price there was to pay for your sin and you always have my embrace. I've got you in this like I've got you in everything. No matter how it's gone in the past, I'm always your Lord and Saviour, your friend, your brother, and you can come to me with all of it and know there's healing and hope and forgiveness and new life and we'll be together forever. You can trust him for that. Let's pray. Our Father, um, relationships can be difficult. And uh, though sometimes we laugh at the idea of things like arranged marriages, uh, in some ways, part of us knows that would be a lot easier too. Lord, help us to be women and men, sisters and brothers who uh, do our romantic relationships well, who do them with holiness and honour and who conduct ourselves in ways that bring glory to you, not in ways that bring hurt and pain and damage to others. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that when we fail, when we've messed it up, when we have gone for our own lusts, our own desires, our own wants more than serving others, when we've hurt others, when we've gone against your will, Thank you so much that Jesus died even for these sins. So we come having been broken by our sin and burdened by the weight of it, but full of thanks and praise and joy because you've lifted us up, you've washed us clean, you've made us new. And as we look to the future of whatever relationships there may or may not be, we know the relationship we have with you is secure because it doesn't depend on us, it depends on your grace which you've shown us in Christ. Praise you for that. Praise you for him. Amen.